Last episode, we talked about C-sections and the troubles that having that first C-section can bring. If you missed that episode, I really encourage you to listen to that one first. So stop here, go back and listen to that one first, then come back to this one when you're done. Because this week, we're going to talk about the what now if you did have a C-section. Often you're faced with tons of fear-based decisions. A lot of providers, if we're being honest, are really truly afraid of vaginal births after C-sections or depending on what terminology they use, trial of labor after C-section. That's VBAC and TOLAC, respectively. They tend to project their fears on you because they really would prefer you just choose a repeat C-section. It's much more controllable for them and it removes all of those what-ifs that they're worried about in this pregnancy. But is that really what's best for you? Are you risking your life or your baby's life if you decide to try to have a vaginal birth after you've had a C-section? That's what we're going to look at today. Let's go. Are you a Christian woman yearning for a beautiful, joyful pregnancy and birth with a focus on God, not medical tests? Are you worried the birth you want isn't possible and you're tired of being treated like an accident waiting to happen? Hey mama, I'm Lori, host of Your Birth, God's Way. I'm a certified nurse midwife now, but I wasn't always. After working for nearly 20 years in the broken maternity system, I too was in your shoes wondering how I could have the birth I wanted and that I felt God meant for me to have. I found a secret that has actually been known since the beginning of time. God's way is the best way. Spoiler alert, God made us and our babies and he knows us best. He designed us perfectly for pregnancy, birth, and nourishing our babies after birth if we work with his design and not against it. In this podcast, you'll learn how to be healthy and have joy during this time of life that will be over before you know it. So if you're ready to reclaim your birth and your babies for his glory, go turn on a few episodes of Bluey for that little one on your hip so you can put the focus back on you for a few minutes with me. Have you heard that you can now have instant access to the recordings of my live course I conducted this summer with beautiful mamas that are just like you? I'm going to talk about it a little more at the end of this episode, but I've been getting emails from mamas wanting to know how they can learn more and how to have the best chance of having their births God's way. So just in case you are one of the mamas who haven't heard about it, I wanted to take a minute to tell you that you can go check it out right now at yourbirthgodsway.com slash replay course, or just hang in until the end of the episode when I'll tell you more about it. Hey mama, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you hung in there with me. And I am so sorry that I never got an episode up for you last week. My voice is just now getting to where it's not all scratchy and gravelly to where maybe it's not too bad for you to listen to. And I'm probably still going to have to do some pausing and some editing because the cough is still there from time to time. I appreciate you being patient with me and understanding as it was really nothing I could do about it. I've been drinking all the hot teas and honey and all the good things. And I really wasn't sick. I just had a gravelly, gross voice and that's not good for podcasting, right? So anyway, thank you for sticking around and coming back. Before we get started and dive into the content I've got for you today, I would just like to ask you if you haven't already to please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts or on whatever podcast app you use. You have no idea how much those reviews help me especially the ones on Apple Podcasts. They really help me to be found by more mamas just like you. It's one of the easiest things that you can do. It doesn't cost you a thing that will really help me the most. So if you'll just pause real quick, 
go leave me a quick five-star written review. If you can write a few words, that helps me even more. And I want to read to you a new review that came through this past week. This is from Jasmine Stan. The title says, Uplifting. It says, I am now more prepared and excited to have a natural birth. I now feel more equipped and believe I can do it. Nice to have the information and tools to accomplish it. Thank you. And thank you, Jasmine, for taking the time to leave that review. It encourages me so much when I get these messages from you guys, letting me know that the information I'm sharing is helping you because that's what I'm here for. That's my only purpose is to try to help you grow closer to God and to have the birth that you deserve to have by giving you the information that you really need to have to make good decisions. So with that being said, let's get into our episode for today. As I mentioned last episode, we really dug into C-sections and we talked about reasons why they're needed, reasons why they're not needed, and how you can know whether you actually need one or not. We talked about ways to try to stay out of the OR so that you don't end up needing this episode. But the reality is that I know a lot of you are here listening to this episode because you have been in the OR, you have had a C-section, and now you are faced with the decision of whether to try to have a vaginal birth with a current pregnancy or maybe a future pregnancy, or whether to choose a repeat C-section. Perhaps you're being pressured to have a C-section that you really don't want, and you really don't know what to do. So today we're going to start looking at some information that is going to help you make your decision a little bit better. Considering the current C-section rate in America is around 32%, that means that a whole lot of mamas are having C-sections. And a whole lot of those mamas later want to have a vaginal birth. And you may be that mama. In fact, I know that some of you who are listening right now are that mama. You may find yourself bumping up against one obstacle or another, and you may found, may feel hopeless or helpless, or maybe both, probably both. You're probably getting a pretty heap in helping, a fear dished into whatever information that you do get if you are receiving conventional maternity care. Unfortunately, a lot of the counseling that you get in conventional settings is laced with fear of all the terrible things that could happen. Oftentimes, however, those fears are their fears and they just get projected on you. We know that one of the best weapons against fear is information. So I want to dive into some truth here, some actual numbers, so that you can make a balanced decision. Often in the counseling you'll receive about whether you should have a VBAC or a repeat C-section, all you get are the risks of the VBAC. Rarely do you actually get a balanced look at the risk that the C-section brings as well and the sequelae of what repeated major abdominal surgery might bring to both you, to your current baby, and to future babies you may have. That part tends to be left out and there are risks on both sides that need to both be looked at. This episode is going to be heavy in numbers, which I know is probably not your jam. Guess what? It's not my jam either but I want you to have good information that is not fear-based. Yes, there is some fear involved in thinking about these types of scenarios because it's scary to think about what could happen. But my purpose in providing you the information is so that you can make the best choice for yourself and your family based on truth. The reality is that you may, if if you're listening to this and you've had a C-section in the past, 
You may have had these things done to you already out of your control. And so now you're facing these tough decisions that you really didn't ever want to have. And that does involve some fear. But the best way to counter that is to know the truth about what you're facing. Something to remember too. I heard this from Dr. Stu and Dr. Shavira at the Twins Breach Conference I went to back in August. Odds for you are either 100% or they're 0%. There's nothing else. So when you hear there's a 10% chance of this or a 12% chance of this or a 40% chance of this, you don't have a 40%. You, are either, you either have it or you don't, okay? It's either it's you or it's not. So if the things that we talk about haven't happened to you yet, it isn't you. And you don't need to dwell on it too much. Just gather the info, weigh it, and make your decision. And make it confidently knowing that you have been given good info that you can make a good balanced decision on. Also something Dr. Riley said at that same conference, he, he really got into the idea of, and I don't have a quote exactly for you, but the idea that, you know, where is that study that proves that we should deviate from nature to start with? You know, everybody wants a study for this or for that these days. And if there's no study telling you that one thing or the other is good, then we are going to just do it the way the doctors want to. But why is it that we need to have a study to prove that we're right when we are operating on the side of what is natural? Yes, we know that sometimes things deviate and they don't go the way we want, but usually they do. So in order to deviate from that normal, the medical side should be the one that has the burden of proving their way has better outcomes rather than making us go away from what we believe to be true. And that is that the natural way that God, the way that God made us is the best way. Now, once we've had a C-section, we have kind of gotten outside of that. Yes, but that doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to go back and make another stop in the OR. Okay. So today we're going to look at some numbers and I will want to go ahead and give Dr. Sue Fishbein a lot of credit because I got a whole lot of this data from him. I contacted him to get the article link because I don't know which episode I was listening to and I sent him a description of it and he couldn't remember the specific episode. And when I searched for it with the terms that I thought might pull it up, we just couldn't pull it up. We couldn't figure out exactly which episode he talked about this and gave these numbers for this article. So please forgive me that I don't have the specific article link for you. If we figure out what it is, I'm going to put it in the show notes, <laughs> but until then, you're just going to have to take the numbers down, write them down yourself, and maybe try to find it yourself later, okay? Actually, that's for the second part of it. The first part, I, I do have a place to send you, but it's usually behind a paywall, so you may have a, have trouble getting it. The first article I really want to talk about is one called Caesarean Sections. Hang on, i got to look at my notes. Caesarean sections for 100 years, 1920 to 2020, the good, the bad, and the ugly, okay? And this article looked at numbers all the way back as said to 1920. What I'm going to quote today starts in about 1970. Back in 1970, the C-section rate in America was about 6%, 6%. And that was just as the C-section was kind of becoming a thing. And so that's why I'm not going all the way back to 1920 because it wasn't as frequently used until starting pretty much 70s and 80s. C-section rate in 1970 was 6%. 
the abnormal placentation rate. Okay, that's a big old word that basically means the placenta doesn't form correctly and it tends to form through the uterus. And that is a big thing that we're going to talk about a little bit more later, but it is the big thing that can result from having pregnancies after you've had a C-section. Basically, the placenta forms over the site of your scar and it grows through your scar abnormally into things outside, either deep into your uterus or outside of your uterus. Back then in the 1970s, that rate was three per 10,000. Okay, three per 10,000 moms. We don't have data on the induction rate. I'm going to start adding that in a little bit later. But the maternal morbidity, excuse me, the maternal mortality rate, which is how many mothers died, was 7 per 100,000. Okay, so that's our baseline for this particular study. Moving on to 1980, the C-section rate jumped to 17%, so 11 percentage points higher. The abnormal placenta rate was 4 per 10,000, so that went up 1 per 10,000. And the maternal morbidity rate excuse me, I've written this down wrong, it is the maternal mortality rate was 9 per 100,000. So everything went up a little bit. Moving on to 1990, C-section rate goes up even further to 25%. That year, I don't have data for the placenta formation, but I do have that at that point, we had a 10% induction rate and the maternal mortality rate went up to 10 per 100,000. So these are the same years where we're starting to really believe that we've got the best medical care and that we've come so far, and yet our numbers of moms dying is going up. Why is that? In 2000, our C-section rate dropped a little bit. It went down to 21%, and that's believed to be probably because at this point, V-backs started to be pushed a little bit more. So that probably took away from that C-section rate a little bit. However, the abnormal placenta formation was 19 per 100,000. Remember back in 1970, it was three per 10,000. We're gonna get into why that's such a big deal here in a minute. The induction rate in 2000 was 19%. That means 19% of moms were being put into labor before labor happened on its own, which tends to lead to C-sections and the maternal mortality rate rose to 13 per 100,000. Now, these are very small numbers still. You know, when you're taking numbers out of per 100,000, it's a very, very small percentage, less than 1%. But the point is that the numbers are going up as we're adding all these things that medical, quote, wisdom tells us are better, more moms are dying. So why is that? I just want you to keep thinking about this. In 2010, the C-section rate jumped to 31%. It was 21% in 2000, up to 31% in 2010. The, I don't have induction rate for that time. Excuse me, I do have induction rate. That's 24%, so our induction rate has gone up. I don't have the placenta information, but the maternal mortality rate up to 17 per 100,000. And then finally, in 2020, the C-section rate goes up a little bit more to 32%, about where it is now. 37 per 10,000 moms had a placenta that formed abnormally. 31% of moms were being induced. And 24 per 100,000 died. 
So we went from, you know, they, they try to tell us it was the dark ages back then, right? Back in the 70s, 60s, 50s, whatever, that all the bad things happened then, right? And all these moms were dying. But as the numbers started in what we've talked about today, we were at seven per 100,000 were dying. Now we're at 24 per 100,000. And we are one of the worst countries of all the developed countries in the world when it comes to our maternal mortality rates. This is what they tell us is the best, right? This is what they tell us is we've got the world-class care. And yet more mamas are dying now than they did in the 70s. Okay, let's move on to the study that I referred to earlier that I did not have the exact link information for. But this study looked at a meta-analysis of 380,000 moms. And what a meta-analysis means is that they bring together a whole bunch of studies and try to blend them together to to use the data collectively to give you more trends, more ideas of, of what's really going on. Okay. And this meta-analysis was looking at elective repeat C-section. That means a C-section that you are choosing to have, not one that is needed emergently versus vaginal birth after C-section. Now, remember, Many, many doctors and many, many providers, practitioners in this country will tell you that choosing to have a VBAC is more dangerous than elective repeat C-section, right? However, this meta-analysis of almost 400,000 women, that's a very, very large sample. In that sampling, nine more died per 100,000 in the elective repeat C-section group than in the VBAC group. That analysis then took a subset of the data. It was a little bit more specific with their definitions of what was included and what wasn't. And inside of that subset, 28 per 100,000 women died who had an elective repeat C-section and 7 per 100,000 in the VBAC group. So 21 more died per 100,000 who had the sections. Now, again, these are very, very small numbers, and I realize that. But 28 versus 7 is a very big difference inside of those small numbers, and it's real, and it's especially real if it's you. And we're going to talk about where some of those come from. So let's now look at the VBAC risk, where they come from versus where repeat C-section risk comes from. The risk that you carry for having a trial of labor after C-section, and then hopefully, which leads to a vaginal birth after C-section, mostly is dependent on how your labor is managed. It's based on who is taking care of you, what their trust of birth is, what their philosophy of VBAC is, whether they are choosing to give you medications or if they are choosing to let labor happen naturally so that you are not having unnaturally strong contractions on that scar on the uterus, or if they come from the camp of believing that we've really got to manage this and try to manipulate it so that it comes out a certain way. And at the slightest little hiccup, we go to the OR. Sadly, that is your biggest determinant of whether you're going to have a VBAC or not, a successful VBAC. How your labor is managed What is given to you or what is not given to you is the biggest indicator of whether you're going to have the risks that come with VBAC happen to you. But for elective repeat C-section, the risks that come with that 
are intrinsic to the procedure. And that means they happen regardless of who taking, takes care of you. It tends to happen anyway. It's not about how you're cared for. I mean, you're just going to the OR at this point. We're not really managing a labor. The largest risk and the most scary risk that comes with those elective repeat C-sections, the second section, the third, maybe the fourth, the largest and the scariest risk is something called placenta accreta, and it's now called a placenta accreta spectrum. What that means is, as I mentioned briefly earlier, is that the placenta is forming in a way that it is going through the wall into deeper tissues of the uterus, or perhaps through the uterus into things outside the uterus and starting to attach the vasculature, meaning the blood vessels are starting to attach to organs or things outside the uterus. This is something that happens not very frequently, but you'll remember back when I was giving you those first statistics, the numbers have been going up and up and up as the C-section rate has been going up and up and up, and it is directly related to the fact that these placentas form over the previous scar where they are able to somehow work their way through in an abnormal way. Why is this a big deal? Well, normally when the placenta breaks away from the uterus after birth, it's kind of a clean break. It just shears off, for lack of a better term. That's that's not really exactly what happens, but it, it kind of just shears off. It, it comes off. And all of those blood vessels that are now exposed get clamped down on by the uterine muscle when it starts to contract back down to its normal size. If you've had a baby before, you know those cramps that you have after birth. That is your uterus squeezing itself down and squeezing off those blood vessels to control the bleeding. That is God's way of getting things back to normal after you've had a baby. It's a good thing. It doesn't feel great, but it's a good thing. Now, when those blood vessels, which normally can get clamped off by the uterus squeezing down, are now extending past that musculature and they're extending through the wall, into the wall, depending on the type of accreta that you have, the blood flow can't be stopped. You can't squeeze it off. The things that we usually use to control hemorrhaging don't work because those things act on the muscle of the uterus and you can't get past that wall to where those blood vessels are now bleeding. When a woman has a placenta accreta somewhere on that spectrum, there's different levels. It's either accreta, increta, or percreta, depending on what it attaches to. I'm not going to go into all the details because most of you will never experience this. I just want you to be aware of it. When this happens, most of those moms, most of them are going to lose their uterus and if that's where it stops, they're lucky because a lot of those moms are going to die. And it's a scary thing. Very scary thing. Um, I don't want to flood you with the fear. So what I would invite you to do, if you want to learn more about how a case like this is managed, Dr. Stu on his podcast, Birthing Instincts and Bliss, the midwife that he does the podcast with, talked to a mom back in August of 2020, excuse me, 2022, who had this happen to her. And the episode is called I Remember Every Detail. It's episode number 274. If you would like to learn more about how these cases are managed, 
what happens, the things you go through, the risk. I would like for you to go listen to that. You'll learn a lot. It is scary. Obviously, that mom survived for her to be able to do an interview, but it was not a clear case. There, there was a very, very real chance that she would not make it, but she did. I personally know someone that this happened to, and she did not make it. She is someone I went to high school with, and she was on her third or fourth C-section, I believe, and it happened to her. This is a very real thing, and sadly, at this point, most of us know somebody because now so many people have C-sections that usually either you know someone or you know somebody that knows somebody that's had this, okay? So that is why the risk of an elective repeat C-section is intrinsic to the procedure. It comes with the procedure. It doesn't matter how it's managed. It's not really about how the uterus is stitched up or anything like that. It's about how the placenta forms, which is something you really can't control. It also increases the risk of something called placenta previa, which is where the placenta forms over the cervix. Um, And that's kind of all related, again, to just abnormal formation of the placenta and the risk that that brings at the time of delivery. Let's also talk a little bit about uterine rupture. And then we're going to wrap this up because I know that you like the short episodes, but this just has so much information. And we're going to break off and talk about this a little bit more next week about how you can reduce your chance of these things happening to you. Um, So uterine rupture is the one that most doctors and maybe some midwives scare you with of your uterus could rupture, your uterus could rupture. If you try to have a a labor, your uterus could rupture. So that sounds scary because rupture sounds terrible, right? And it is. It's not that it's nothing. But understand that the word, the term uterine rupture does not automatically mean blowout. It does not mean dehiscence, which dehiscence is when a wound just kind of rips open. Occasionally that can happen. But more often, it is just kind of like a window. Think more of like your Ziploc bag is closed and you kind of ease open one little part of it. Now you've got a window of that former seal that's open. That's really usually what happens more frequently than the all-out blowout. Now, it is still an emergency. Don't get me wrong. It's not like, oh, well, that's no big deal. It's still something that has to be dealt with immediately. But it's not as scary as it is often portrayed. The rupture rate, and I believe this was after one C-section. This is also out of the study that I can't find the link for, um, is somewhere between this study cited 0.47% different things cite different amounts. It can range somewhere between 0.2 to maybe 1% or so. Um, That is the rupture rate, the uterine rupture rate after one C-section. Of that small percentage, so, you know, let's say we're talking 1%, that's 1 out of 100. Out of that 1 out of 100, 6.2% of those have perinatal, excuse me, perinatal, these are hard words to spit out, perinatal mortality secondary to that rupture. And so what that calculates out to is 3 per 10,000. So these super scary things that they tell you about really boil down to about 3 per 10,000. That makes you a very, very small chance of having this happen to you. But remember, the chance of that thing happening to you if you are laboring with a TOLAC, a trial of labor after C-section, is directly dependent on how it's managed. So these are things that we can 
mitigate, we can reduce, we can work on to try to reduce the chance of them happening to you. Okay, real quick, I want to review a couple of other things from some articles. And then we're going to wrap this up. I know I already said that once, but there's just so much information. And I want you to know, by the way, I am whittling this down severely because I just can't talk about it all. But I wanted to give you as best an idea as I could. So this is from an article. It's it's from the American Family Physicians, but it's citing an American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Boy, I am just stumbling all over these today, aren't I? Let's say ACOG. Okay, that makes it easier. Uh, They say in their report that, or it says the report adds that women who fail a trial of labor are at risk for severe maternal complications, including uterine rupture, the need for transfusion, hysterectomy, endometritis, and perinatal morbidity and mortality. So the reason I wanted to say this to you, and this is from 2004, so this is a little bit old, but it's been reiterated in other places. I had a mom uh, point this article out to me and say that there is a more of a risk of these things happening to you if you try a VBAC. But this is really a manipulation of the language in this article that um, you just, you know, if you don't know what you're reading, you're going to pass right over it. It says, women who fail a trial of labor are at risk for severe maternal complications, including uterine rupture. Well, the failure is the uterine rupture. That's that's usually where your failure is coming from. Usually you'll stop a VBAC, you know, short of it, the labor just not progressing because you've been managed to death and it just doesn't progress because maybe your body wasn't ready or the baby wasn't in a good position. The failure is the rupture. So it's not that you have a greater chance of a rupture later if you try a VBAC. It is that is the, the failure. And so they're manipulating you into thinking that a VBAC is scarier, that a rupture is going to happen more often. So, of course, if you were one of those, what, 0.47% that had the rupture, of course you're going to have a greater risk of a tra- needing a transfusion or a hysterectomy, meaning having your uterus removed. Of course, those things are going to be a higher risk at that point. But again, those risks are more easily mitigated and dealt with based on who you choose to care for you, okay? The, the, the fear in this is just striking. Um, I would encourage you to go look this up. I had, inc- I had intended to go over a whole lot more, but I wanted you to realize that in this article also, it goes through criteria for selecting candidates who are good choices for people who get to have a VBAC. They get to decide if you have a right to try a VBAC. Not quite sure how they get to do that, and you don't have a voice in it, but that's what they think. Um, The number four and number five uh, criteria. Number four was a physician immediately available throughout active labor who is capable of monitoring labor and performing an emergency C-section delivery or cesarean delivery. And number five is the availability of anesthesia and personnel for emergency delivery. Those two things alone are the reasons why most VBACs have been limited and why a lot of places ban you from even trying to have a VBAC because they don't want to keep those people on staff. And I won't really get started on that too much, but I'll just say that having a VBAC in those conditions, it's, it's not a bad thing, but it's not the only way. And we'll talk about that more next week. 
Interestingly, two trials show, and this is still in the ACOG article, two trials showed no significant difference between the rates of successful VBAC and uterine rupture between women with twin or singleton gestations. In other words, if you're pregnant with twins and you have had a C-section in the past, you can still have a VBAC. There was no difference in the rate of uterine rupture between people having one baby and people having two babies. Take note of this. The likelihood of successful VBAC is impacted negatively by labor augmentation. That means giving drugs to make labor go faster and induction, maternal obesity, gestational age beyond 40 weeks, interdelivery interval of less than 19 months. That means that you've gotten pregnant less than 19 months or excuse me, your deliveries are less than 19 months apart from each other or birth weight greater than 4,000 grams. So those are factors that they found cause a negative impact on your success rate. So in other words, wait on labor on its own. Let it happen on its own. Some places will tell you that, in fact, there's a little bit of a discrepancy in this very article that will tell you that the VBAC rates are, you're more successful if you are induced. And yet that right there told you that you're less successful if you're induced. It's very hard to weed through this sometimes. Risk and benefits associated with VBAC. Successful VBAC generally is associated with shorter maternal hospitalizations, fewer infections, less blood loss, and fewer transfusions, and fewer thromboembolic events, that means clots, than a C-section. However, a failed trial of labor may be associated with major maternal complications, and it lists off the same ones as I listed before, again, which are, that's the main risk, and they are more easily managed by the person who manages your labor than elective repeat C-sections where the risk is intrinsic again, repeating myself. We'll talk about next episode about ways to um, decrease those risks even further, as I mentioned. Uh, Let me, you probably hear pages turning. I'm going to skip over to one more thing. So that statement was from ACOG. This one is from the American College of Nurse Midwives. And they say they strongly support the practice of vaginal birth after cesarean for women who are appropriately selected, counseled, and managed. That brings with it some things that I don't like and don't necessarily agree with, but at the very least, they do strongly support it. And they say mate. Rupture of the uterus is the major risk for women laboring after a prior cesarean section. The incidence ranges here from 0.4% to 1.2%. The incidence of uterine rupture in women laboring after prior C-section is similar to other sudden obstetric emergencies such as placental abruption, cord prolapse, unexplained severe fetal heart rate decelerations. In other words, the fear of the rupture is right there along with the fear of other emergent things that can happen. Not saying be afraid of more things. I'm saying it is overplayed to make everyone think that a VBAC is so, so risky. It's not really all that much more risky than some of the other things that can happen just by chance that aren't related to a prior C-section. One last thing, and this is from the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This is a, the article was entitled Induction of Labor Versus Expected Management for Women with a Prior Cesarean Delivery. 
This quote comes from the results section. It says the rate of VBAC was higher among women undergoing induction of labor at 39 weeks compared to expectant management. So they're saying that more people had VBACs who were induced, but the risk of uterine rupture also was higher among women undergoing induction of labor at 39 weeks compared to expectant management. So while they, from their perspective, when they induce, you get more VBACs, you also get more ruptures. And that's the thing that we're supposed to be so scared of, right? So perhaps we shouldn't be inducing and we should wait for labor. And this also was looking at 39 weeks, which very frequently many babies are not ready yet at 39 weeks. As we know, if babies aren't ready, babies don't come. So it's very possible that the way that that study was conducted automatically was setting them up for having a lesser rate of success. So what now? You know, C-sections, while occasionally life-saving, are in no way normal. They're not the normal way of having a baby. And having more abnormal added to your list is rarely going to serve you best, especially if you're wanting to have more children in the future. I didn't really dig into that. But the reason that the risk from elective repeat C-section don't so much come as much in this pregnancy, but with your future ones. And rarely will a physician say before they tell you that you should have an elective repeat, they won't say, are you planning on having more babies? They'll just go ahead and do the section and then deal with the placenta issue later. And that's not fair to you. You need to know that this is a bigger risk for your future babies. And you are basically trading the safety of this baby for the the safety of a future baby. And that's about an impossible choice, really, when you think about it. And they don't give you that full information. So now you have that. And we're going to go into that a little bit more next week. Not as many numbers next week, but we are going to dig into that a little bit more. So make make sure you've subscribed if you haven't so you won't miss that episode. More than 95% of those who have had a prior C-section should be able to labor. They should be able to have a trial of labor after C-section. That was according to the meta-analysis article that has a phantom link I can't get for you, but I'm going to try to find it. So what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to work hard to weed through what practitioners are telling you. And you're going to have to think about whether what they are saying is best for you or best from them because for them, because therein lies your answer. If what they're telling you is really only what's best for them, it likely isn't what's best for you. And it's not going to serve you well, not as well as it's going to serve them. So next week, we're going to take this a bit further into the, okay, now what category? We're going to try to figure out how you can increase your odds of having a successful VBAC and decrease your chances of having a uterine rupture. Here's what I need you to know, though. This is all just skimming the surface of all that you can do to increase your chances of having the birth that you want, which is what I know that you want. I know that you want to do this God's way. I know that you are frustrated that you're even having to deal with this. I get all of that, but you are not powerless. I know you're frustrated by even having to consider these things, but you do not have to do this alone. This summer, I recorded a live class where I walked mamas just like you through everything you can imagine to prepare you to have the birth that God designed you to have, even if you've had a C-section before. We talked about literally everything under the sun. 
That course was closed once it filled up, but now you can have all that wealth of information that I shared with them at your fingertips on demand. We covered it all in eight weeks, and it was a lot. It was a packed eight weeks. But you can now take it at your leisure. You can cram it into a week if you're at 39 weeks maybe and you back is against your back is against the wall and you got to figure this out. You can just binge watch kind of like you're watching Netflix all into one week if you need to or you can spread it out throughout your pregnancy if you're early on. Whatever fits you best. You'll get handouts, audio relaxation tracks and so much more. Plus, you'll get the chance to ask me your questions in live question and answer sessions. So if somehow I didn't hit on what you want to learn about, you'll still get to ask me. I love these mamas that I spent these two months with, and they have left some really good feedback for you. So you can go check that out and you can learn more about what's in the course and what they had to say about it all over on my website. This is also where you'll go to sign up, and if and you're definitely going to want to go ahead and sign up because this is an absolute brain dump of all the things that I have learned over the last 20 years, and you'll have it all right there on demand. I want you to succeed more than anything. That's the whole reason I'm here. I want you to have that beautiful birth that God designs you to have and that you know that you can have. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that you're not alone. I'm here with you and I want to help you succeed. So go on over and get signed up and you'll be taking the first step to reclaiming your birth your way, which I know is God's way because I know if you are listening to this that you love the Lord and you are trying to please him and you are trying to break out of this medicalized system that has gone so far away from his design and you are trying to get back to his way. And I want to help you do that. That's the whole reason I'm here. So go head over there. The link is yourbirthgodsway.com slash replay course. And I will see you back here next week where we're going to dig into the practical side of what to do now that you need a VBAC. You want a VBAC. So what are you going to do to give yourself the best chance to have that be successful without all those scary risks that we just talked about? See you then. Real quick, if today's episode blessed you in any way, would you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a quick five-star written review? It'll take you less than a minute, but it's the best thank you you can give me. And it will help my show to reach more mamas just like you so we can all find God's best for our families. I'll see you right back here in a few days.